Greetings, everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Teaching Tales. I am Brent Coley, your host. I'm an elementary school principal in beautiful Southern California. And if you have listened before, thanks so much for tuning back in. And if this is your first time, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. This podcast is totally devoted to sharing stories from the world of education. Everyone loves hearing stories. That's what we're going to do. And today, I have an awesome storyteller. As our guest, the amazing John Carippo. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. It's uh, Ju- July 3rd, and I've kind of got my vacation hat on right now, and I'm very chill today. Very good. Yes, I am. Uh, this is the first day of my second week of vacation of three that I get, so uh, I'm enjoying it as well. So, so John, uh, Corey Orlando, our friend, she kind of put us in touch and said, you guys would you guys would be good to share some stories. So thank you, Corey. Shout out to Corey Orlando. And she also had a great idea for a topic of some stories that we could share. She calls them, I think, is it switch flip moments? Yes, as in when the moment that the, the flip was switched, the switch was flipped. That plays hell on my dyslexia, I'm just saying. But yeah. yes, the thing that happened. The thing that happens. Yeah. When the thing so, that happened, yes. <laughs> otherwise known as an, maybe an aha moment, or I'm going to go ahead and call it a game, game-changing moment, because I think that's, that's something that, yeah. like, it's going to be easier for us to say. But, um, and uh, you said that you have a couple of those, and I've got a couple too. Do you, you want to start, like, share one of those moments where something happened that just completely was a game-changer, changed the way you thought about education, how you went about your job in education and so on. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would love to share. Uh, like my, my, my. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna share two, and then we might, you know, see how it goes. But okay. my first one was really the one that moved me from being a, if you can see my finger quotes, classroom teacher. Different, right? Yeah. Up until that moment, I just, I had my little brood, and I was trying to be the best rock and roll teacher I could to those people, right? And so um, I'm gonna condense this story because it's my switch flip moment, game change moment is probably a seven month story, but I'll give you the highlights. Uh, I'm going along minding my own business. Um, One of the grandmothers at the local telephone company submits me for an award. Um, One of her grandkids is in my class, right? So they call me and they're like, hey, John, we want to put you up for for an award. And I'm like, hey, what's it for? And they go, well, we don't really know you. We just needed somebody. And I was like, okay, that's (laughs) so personal. Super excited. Yeah. So, uh, Long story short, about six weeks later, a $5,000 check shows up in my room, and I'm the rural educator of the year for this small phone company consortium. That then gets me on the radar for a gal who invites me, a good friend of mine, Susan Pinnell. She invites me to go to this one-week PD event in Ojai, California, uh, called Teach the Teachers. And that was really, when I walked into that event, I was as nobody as you could be. I'd never been to Q. I'd never been to CVQ. I had nothing. Okay. I'm just a dude trying to teach. And I got to see Hall Davidson uh, keynote and it completely blew my mind as about what education leadership looks like. He was using laser pointers. He was telling us that pretty soon you would be able to buy a video camera for about $100. And I was like, ha, 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 you are nuts. Never going to happen. Right. Like four months later, the flip cam comes out, right? This is years before iPhones, YouTube, all that stuff. But he had such a vision of what media could do to change pedagogy. And he talked about 
that a cave painting was 45 or 50,000 years old as a human endeavor, whereas alphabets, alphabet, alphanumeric systems were only uh, 4,500 years old. So our human inclination is to be a storyteller with visuals. And as an English teacher, my head's just like, oh, like nuclear bombs are coming. Right. So that, but that's still not the full flip switch moment or game change moment. I, I drove away from there. Like, it was a four-hour drive home, and I, you know, yeah, I'm sure you've done this. You're just driving, your head's just like, what? Like, there's music playing in my car, but I can't hear it. I'm just like in the zone. So, flash forward to the following January, I call the people that ran the camp, and I was like, hey, are you guys going to have that camp again? And I don't know why, but Emmy Phillips says, well, would you like to be on faculty? And I was like, I, I never really thought about like leading a thing. And uh, so I still have the PDF handout for this. It's called the world's che cheapest tech coach. That was the name of my session, the world's cheapest tech coach. And went back to Ojai, helped run the camp for a week, and right out of the gate went hands-on, experiential. Flash forward another four months, I'm sitting at an event. This lady walks by, Janie Roachford, taps me on the shoulder and goes, you're John Cripple, you're going to work for me. And then she leaves, and I was like, what is that? So then... Um, she comes back a few minutes later. She goes, my husband was in your session at Ojai this summer. All he says now is John Crippo says. And then she leaves again. And I'm like, who is this crazy lady? Well, to make a long story short, I ended up going to work for CTAP for Fresno County office based on that conversation. Wow. So that eight-ish months just changed everything for me because then once that at all, that was a gigantic six months flip, right? Game change. But once that happened, I started going to all these events and all these conferences. And then my dissatisfaction with that, finger quotes are up again my dissatisfaction with finger quotes conferences led mm -hmm. to the rockstar camps which changed my entire career right so then that you know and it just it went like that it was like the old faberge commercial and you told two friends and you told two friends so for me that was that was about a seven or eight month uh game change uh, sequence if you would of moving from i'm just a dude in a classroom to oh my god I can participate in this conversation at a state level or a national level. Yeah. And so that was a big one for me. That all, that all started with a grandma recommending you for what rural teacher of the year from a, a phone company that yeah. was the first domino to fall. And you are now, I mean, I got so excited about what we were going to talk about. I don't think I, I asked you for anyone who is not familiar with you, what do you what do you do, John? I mean, I know what you do, but tell listeners who may not be familiar. What do you do? I'd really like my official title to be um, I'm a foot soldier in the war against ignorance. That's what I'd really like my official title oh, to be. Awesome. And if any if anybody's seen Saving Private Ryan, you know Tom Hanks is so presidential and so cool, right? And he's an English teacher. He's such a cool cat. Everything. Uh, that's not me at all. Uh, if you've watched Saving Private Ryan, I am Tom Sizemore, not. I'm not <laughs> uh, uh, I'm the guy that throws his helmet and runs and spits everywhere and yells at people. <laughs> uh, but my actual job right now is I'm I'm the chief innovation officer for an organization called Q. We're a nonprofit in California, Nevada. We've got about ten thousand members. Uh, over the last uh, uh, two and a half years, I've worked really hard with Danielle Forst, and we've we've grown our impact. Uh, the amount of teachers that we work with, we were averaging around 2,700 a year. Now, this last year, we we served 22,000 teachers. Wow! In addition, in addition to the two conferences that serve about another 9,000, so we're now at the cusp of working with around 30,000 teachers a year, and I'm really excited about that. 
but back to the Tom Sizemore um, aspect is uh, I, I, I just really see myself to this moment as a classroom teacher. The whole I'm an administrator thing really never set in. I'd prefer to not wear a tie. Uh, I'd prefer to go play soccer with the sixth graders. I really see myself as a, a sixth grade educator that has a different network, if that makes sense. That you're reaching more than 35 kids or 100 right, kids right. or whatever. Yeah, you're reaching. And it's kind of like. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like my class is all these teachers now, and I'm not trying to take off with anybody's career. I'm saying the people that want to collaborate and share because they share back with me just as much as I share with them. Sure. Um, but that's my class now is is all those teachers. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Well, it's it's amazing how the world we live in now with organizations like Q and with Twitter and things like that, where an idea, a person's blog post or something like that can be shared. And the next thing you know, in the story like you, it's like you went from being recommended to something to now being in charge of, and, and affecting tens of thousands of educators in an incredibly positive way. So I'm, and I'm one That's of those. Crazy. Yeah. And if you look at the friend group that I kind of launched this with, I'll list my friend group, Will Kimbley, Alice Keeler, Jim Sill. All local people, Mike Niehoff, right? All just local folks right here that have become Apple Distinguished Educators, Google Certified Teachers, and all those kinds of things. So it was a really uh, unique group, but I see room for lots more people. There's tons of people coming on board all the time that have a ton of energy and passion and creativity. And what I like about it is we are slowly re-landscaping re what it is to be an educator. Mm-hmm. And that, that's my goal right there. It's nothing less to what does educator mean? And one of my favorite tweets from, uh, I think it was two summers ago, is when you're a Q rock star teacher and school gets out, you speed up. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, right? kinda, it, you're getting on planes, you're getting on trains, you're meeting people, you're building stuff. Like the old days would be, it's the last day of school. I'm going to park school until the week before school, right? And that that is totally changing. Oh, now as I as I look through my Twitter feed, all I'm seeing is is the books that people are reading. They're 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 snapping pictures of whether it's lead like a pirate or kids deserve it or innovators mindset. I mean, it's kind of like, and they don't just have one or two. They're taking pictures of like five or six books that says, "Here's my summer right, reading list." Right. Assing, right? It's like this is becoming part of the being. Uh, an edupreneur is Mike Niehoff's phrase, right? Mm -hmm. Sell, selling your ideas in some cases for free, but selling your concepts and your educational passion and things like, just like what you're doing with this podcast is becoming the way that you become a de facto excellent educator. Now you can't not do this part and be excellent. It's just impossible. Exactly. You could be, you could be really good. You could be really good, but if you don't know what's going on in classrooms that's best in class, best in the world level, how can you grow? Yeah. Yeah. To, uh, Logically impossible to not participate and be your best. It's impossible. Yeah. No, abs absolutely agree. Gone are the days of give me my keys, show me to my room and leave me alone because th there's too much, there's too much good stuff out there that we can take in. But also conversely, I think, like you had said, there's so much there that we can give away to others because I always like to say, I've said it over and over and over, somebody online is, is Googling right now searching 
for what you have, <laughs> for what for what you do in your classroom, what what already maybe, done, right? Or what you've already done, exactly. Somebody is somebody is looking for that, and we've got to share that. So, uh, did you have a? I mean, I've I've got one, but I'll I'll defer back to you. Do you do you have another? No, I want to hear one of yours. I want to hear. Okay, one of yours. well, well, mine mine is uh, mine happened in my second year of teaching, and it was one of those. It was it's not nearly as grand. Uh, as the story that you told, but it's one that really resonates with me when I think of game-changing moments. This is my 21st year in education. This was my second year, yet I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the copy room of the office. Making ah, copy. the copy room. Yeah, exactly. It was about 6.30 p.m., um, and I still had a ton to do. And I, it was one of those epiphany, just light bulb moments where it hit me the exact words the thought that i had was i'm never going to get it all done right I, and then you were at peace with that exactly <laughs> i it's like you let it go I, you're like just, what yes and it was such a liberating experience because i remember thinking i could stay here till midnight there will always be the pit, the pit will always be there yep there was always be something else to do. And I remember I, I took my stuff, went back to my room, dropped it on my desk and I went home and it was such, so for anybody listening, it's like, if you have not yet had that realization, this would be my encouragement to you is you need to go home to your family because no matter how late you work, there's always going to be something left to do something more to do. So and, and now I'm not going to lie to anybody listening and saying that I don't struggle with that because I do tend to stay at work more than I need to or more than I should. And my family suffers sometimes because I'm not there as much as I should be. But I have come to that realization and you said it perfectly. It was so peaceful when I, when I, when I had that realization that, you know what, this will keep. This'll, this will keep. I don't need to do this right now because there's nothing I can do right now. I can't solve this problem right now. So that, that for me was a game change moment in year let me, two. L let me reflect on that. I have a double game change that took 20 years to happen. Uh, yeah. But it was a similar but opposite realization of what you had. Uh, when I was growing up, my dad was uh, sort of the COO sales guy for uh, a, a contracting firm for construction firm and he was maniacal about the trucks will be washed and the yard will be raked and mm -hmm. the logo will be on things you know he's just crazy about that and super organized and one day he grabbed me and he said see that coffee maker it's been broken for two months there are the kind of people that will walk by that coffee maker all year and there are the kind of people that will fix it mm. now that wasn't the big idea the big idea that he said was if you make one or two things better in your work environment every day, if you have a concerted effort every day to make one or two things better, at the end of the year, you will fix 400 things. You will be 400 things better. And one of them just might be the coffee maker. Wow. So I put that in the back of my head, right? And I was like, oh, that was big. So then about, eh, gosh, must have been 12, 15 years later, I'm working with a guy named John Baxter at Fresno State. He's their incoming academic coach and special teams coach. And he moved them from being second lowest GPA in the NCAA to second highest GPA in the NCAA. And he is a machine. He is a creating machine. 
I mean, he just creates and creates and creates. He makes me feel inadequate. <laughs> and um, was that he talked about though was everybody gets 168 hours a week. Mm. Nobody gets more. Everybody gets the same. And what you put your time on is what will determine your success. Mm. And those two things together really blew my mind when I, because I attached to what John Baxter said to what my dad said. And now I'm going to hook into what you said, right? The pit is bottomless. Yeah. But if I can make one or two things systematically better every day. Yeah. The, so the, it's key to not just be in the system. It's key to fix it while you're going. Amen. You know, and, and what I see a lot of people do, and this is not just teachers and this is not just admins, this is just people. They go to work and they try to survive. If you just go and survive every day, you will never make the system better. If you don't make the system better, the bottomless pit you're talking about gets more bottomless. Yeah. You never feel like I got anywhere. So that that's I'm reflecting on yours with mine. Uh, that's how I am able to not come unglued because there's so many things to fix, right? There's so many things to fix. And if, but, and, and if you think about every, how many people you are in an organization, I mean, like, for example, at my school, we've got about 70 staff members. If, if everybody fixed one thing, and, and the coffee maker example, while some may listen and say, oh, it's a coffee maker, what's the, the co I mean, coffee for many, <laughs> Coffee is life. I mean, <laughs> they can't get through the day. So that could actually make such a huge impact on somebody. Hey, somebody fixed the coffee maker. If 70 people each went about fixing something small, those smalls are going to add up and it's going to be potentially game changing for the organization, for the school, for wherever it is that you're, that you're operating on a daily basis. Awesome. But if you're not, if you're not inherently making the systems better, it's that old saying, you know, the difference between stress and being challenged at work is if you like what you're doing. Yeah, right? yeah. So you've got to be making the systems better as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, you want to, you want to come to work. And if you're, if you're working with people who are of a like mindset and wanting to improve and not just complain, but, but, Oh, something's broken. How can we fix it? How can we work together and fix it? Then you're, then you're wanting to come to work. And then, so that's led to me being able to do some things where I say, Oh my gosh, I can't spend my weekends lesson planning mm -hmm. because it's going to kill me. <laughs> I can't spend uh, three hours every night grading because it's going to kill me. Yeah. I can't, you see where the pattern is? So now once I have this perspective of I've only got 168 hours a week and I've got to fix some things every day, all of it starts to happen. It all starts to come together. I can actually make systems that keep me happy and comfortable. When I'm happy and comfortable, I'm a better teacher. Oh, yeah. Right? When mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. Nobody's happy. When people are happy, they're going to be more productive. They're going to be more fun to be around. So, I mean, people like to be around happy people. Awesome. So yep. you had a sec you had another story. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm trying to decide which one I'm going to take uh, based on this conversation. Um, but I'll tell you uh, that the one I'm probably going to go with is when we started at Minarets High School. Mike Niehoff and I got to start a high school from scratch, 
awesome. and in a district that had never had a high school. So we got to handpick all the staff, Ooh. all this. Yeah, it was really neat. And and we went MacBooks and we started at 9 a.m. And we went with Google. That high school has never been anything but Google. They've never been anything but one-to-one. Wow. And uh, um, so here was my switch flip moment, though. Uh, I went along uh, planning, building. And in my head, I could not wait for the first day of school because it was going to be straight on utopia. The kids would like all the work. Do you see where this is going? The kids would like all the work. The teachers would understand the plan. Oh my gosh. By about the end of September, I was like, oh, this is so, this is bad. This is might be worse than regular. This is not going the way. At least, yeah, at least in regular high school, the kids are afraid of the teachers and work. My kids aren't even working at all. Uh-oh. Oh, so that was a big switch flip moment for me because I realized here's the, here comes, here it comes. You ready for this? Cause this is another double, um, game change moment is yeah. that three years later, I'm sitting at a table at SETPA listening to it directors talk. And I realized this, if you give kids devices and Wi-Fi, student achievement will not go up. And, and you, you, you cut know out, did you say if you give kids, students, and wi- uh, devices and Wi-Fi achievement will not go up? I did- it will not go up. Okay. Scores, I'm, I'm putting my finger quotes up, scores will not yep. go up. Your, your CASP scores will not go up. Your, your grade books will not improve. You know why? Because the teachers are still on a freaking bell curve, <laughs> which means. Pedagogy. It's got to means, pedagogy. Which means. You have a MacBook, but you still have a D because I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. You've yeah. actually got to change the entire system to make it work. Yeah. Because uh, there's a lot of neat things about adding one-to-one so that the kids can make slides or cruise the internet or whatever. But it's not going to get you the results you want from just giving them devices. No. So that's helped me redouble my efforts on pedagogy over mm-hmm. technology. and and cult and culture and so um that was another big one for me i'm really able to kind of like be like iron man and focus everything right like right here on my power thing in my chest i'm like no that will not work i've seen it in real life it ain't gonna work you're gonna have to change more than that because if teachers are still comfortable with a fare thee well attitude coming out of core classes sorry kid some some people are meant to be ditch diggers or dishwashers as long as the teachers maintain that perspective and what the reason they do that is to give themselves plausible deniability emotionally Mm -hmm. they can look in the mirror in the morning and say i tried my best well trying your best does not count in any number of things yeah especially school yeah you don't go to war and say well i tried my best but i lost half my guys you know i tried my best we trained. Yeah. I told them what yeah. to do. That's not acceptable. And the reality of it is I saw a really cool John Stossel uh, thing shoot 12 or 15 years ago, maybe closer to 20 years ago. And in it, he shows that the statistics that being murdered, dying in a plane crash or a car crash, literally take minutes off of your life as a potential risk. Hmm. 
Poverty takes five years off your life. Wow. Poverty. Poverty takes five. So I am literally killing kids when I'm not saving them. There's no in between. Yeah. If you're not saving them, you're killing them. You're yeah. dooming them to a life of poverty. A life of poverty is more dangerous than murder, air crashes, car crashes, smoking. Smoking only takes days off your life. And we're terrified of smoking. But we're not mm -hmm. terrified of poverty. I really want you to think about that for a second. We're not terrified of pro poverty. Well, you know, they didn't do their flashcards, so that's, you know, that's where they are. Yeah. I'm not okay with that. Yeah. I, I, I taught it. They didn't, they didn't learn it. Uh, they didn't learn it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's the cliche. It's the, the, is it, is it warmly? Is it uh, Rick Mormon? Yeah. Rick, Rick, Rick Rick's my hero. Rick. Love. Oh my, Love oh my gosh, he, he talks, yeah, in one of his talks that I've watched and he talks about the whole, the penalty for not doing work is doing your work. Yeah. <laughs> I will, I will haunt your worst nightmares and to, because if you, if you accept not doing it, you're, you're, you're telling students that the assignment was meaningless. It was optional. Right. There was no learning objective. And so there, there is no, well, what if I don't do it? There is no, if you will do it. And everybody so. does everything. That's my motto. Everything. Uh, yeah. I had a nice little game change moment that we can sort of wrap up because I, yeah. I think we're probably getting towards the end of our time. I was um, maybe six years ago, I was at an event watching a first year teacher share and uh, she did a, she did a pretty good job. Uh, she, she was doing her presentation, doing a pretty good job, but she had this one magical thing. She said, I never give extra credit mm. ever because kids will especially now that they have their grade book all the time they will sit at 84 86 87 percent and then try to rush the gate at the last second for an a yeah yeah because they're gaming right now they're saying what's the least energy i can put out yeah and this is very rick yeah. Wormelli right here what's the least energy i can put out to stay within striking range of an a and then with two days to go what they want to do is they jump out and they say, can I do one more stupid report to get those five points? And then if, if they can't, then they blame their the, the teacher to their parents. They go to their parents and go, yeah, I don't know. She's crazy. He's crazy. I don't know what's wrong with that guy. Yeah. Which so, reminds, which reminds so me. So here's the fix. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was just, uh, if, I, that reminds me of, it's very similar as, as homework passes. When you mention extra credit, I have, from the very beginning, I've never, I am <laughs> philosophically opposed to homework passes. And I may offend somebody who's listening right now, but because. Well, you do value by it. By doing that. Exactly. You're saying that here's the assignment. Oh, but if you have this piece of paper, you don't have to do it. Well, you know what it's, you're, you're basically what it's saying to me is you guys hate this work so much that I can award you by having you not do the work that you hate. I don't know. I don't yes. like that economy. No, it, it's we we, we got to make any assignments in class. I mean, we could. There's a whole different discussion about homework, but, but just just the whole If if there's a rule, if something that I mean, anytime you make an exception or like. It, it completely devalues the assignment. You're telling the kids, and kids are smart. If you give them yep. a homework pass, you're saying that sometimes it'll be the like, oh, you can't use it on you can't use it on this assignment, but you can use it on that assignment. So what you're saying is that assignment is worthless. 
this assignment is important enough that you can't skip it. And that's right. not good. So you, you were saying, I think I interrupted you. My apologies. So um, the, the plan goes like this. I, there's no extra credit ever, ever, ever. <laughs> if you turn in your assignment late, now this is Wormelly. If you turn in your assignment late, there's a points penalty. And we, I don't care what it is, but if, if I need things to be, they need to come in timely or you'll get devalued. And there's nothing innovative there. That's very normal, right? If you don't turn it on time, the best you can get is a C or whatever. But then here's where it gets fun. The only way you can get extra points in my class is to turn in work early. Hmm. <laughs> so... So think about this. We have a project that's due in two weeks. If you'll turn it in at least one full day early, guess what you get? Bonus points for being early. I like it. Now here's what happens. Those, those same kids, those same kids that, um, that'll game and sit at 84%, they realize that if they turn in their assignment early, they can basically guarantee themselves an A. Hmm. And what game happens is the they'll bring... Way. They'll show me their they'll show me their assignment and go, "What's my grade?" And I'll go, "Oh, remember you're supposed to have four sources and five pictures, and you've only got three sources and two pictures." And I give them a quick look over and I go, "Yeah, okay, yeah, all right." Uh, so with the bonus points, you're at a seventy-two percent right now, with the <laughs> bonus points. And the kid's like, "Well, whoa, I can fix that in like ten minutes. What would my grade be?" Go then? for it. Yeah. Out. <laughs> and what happens is their grades start going through the roof because they're gaming it the right way. Yeah. The right way. Yep. Awesome. And I've watched my, by with that one pedagogical shift, I've watched my GPAs go up uh, as a class. In general, they go up a full point. That's across awesome. the board. And, and, and what, a, what an easy shift to make. I mean, yeah. in, in, from the teacher's perspective, that's not that's not extra work on, on the part of the teacher. And I love when you were saying that I was thinking because I've had kids come in early and say, like, here, Mr. Coley, here's here's my thing. And then you say, hey, oh, I noticed a little got a couple mistakes here. You want to go fix that because you still have time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll go fix it by by encouraging them to bring in an early work quality. Making that is going to I'm making that the culture. Yeah industriousness is the culture so yeah. going back to where you started with in valuing the work yeah value the work in real time don't value the work later yeah value the work now yeah value this yeah. work formative don't value formative yeah. formative feed formative formative assessment formative feedback yeah. the whole the whole time so Oh, that's actually doing is getting them to practice perfect assignments instead of just turning them in and i will quote ezra uh, Ezra said, uh, I watched Ezra in one of our English classes hand in a piece of paper and his English teacher looked at the front and then looked at the back and said, Ezra, the back is blank. And he said, can I just get a D? Mm. Ooh. No. And if we, and if we <laughs> accept, if we say, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, well, not, <laughs> we cannot accept that. We cannot accept that. Wow. Powerful stuff, John. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. This was a good, good stories, good conversation. I hope people listening uh, 
were as encouraged and inspired as I was. I, 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 I have heard you keynote. I have been in your sessions at Q conferences and things like that. And, uh, you are, you are the man. So <laughs> I really thank you uh, for the time. I'm so. thrilled and honored to be able to share some of the things that I've just happened to bump into. And remember, right. I, as I said earlier, my goal here is to look at the results we're getting and change the results. And you want to change the results, you better change the input. Mm. Yep. You and keep I've doing been lucky enough to, yeah, I've been lucky enough to be in small districts where I've been allowed to run wild and try some things and find out what works and doesn't work. Because I guarantee you, everything does not work. No, no. And Everything if, I've tried does not work, guarantee. No, and that's, if, if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to continue to get the same results. And to think otherwise right. is the definition of insanity. So, well, John, thank you again. I really appreciate it. For anyone listening who is not already following you, where can, where can they find uh, John Carippo online? Oh, the Twitters is the easiest place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jay Carippo, right? Yeah. J at J Carippo. Don't go to John Carippo. That's my old account. Okay. Um, I lost the password. Total disclosure. I lost the password for my old account. <laughs> I'll try to recover it someday. So uh, at Jay Carippo. And then uh, Facebook's a good place to find me. Just John Carippo. There's not a lot of us. There's two, I think. There's me and J-O-H-N Carippo. But you'll know if you got the right one. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks again, John. And thanks everyone for listening. Again, uh, appreciate it. Hope you got 